HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by Joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products to bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level late round bound the next bear race the next cat race whatever you got going joy can keep your dog fueled up i personally feed joy for this reason they are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight they will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or uh, breeders bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us so find joy dog food on the internet find that dealer locator find a dealer near you if you can't find one contact them directly and have a rep get their butts down there and get a dealer set up so you can start feeding joy dog food fueled by joy all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the truth on the houndsman xp podcast and you guys are lucky enough today to not just have to listen to me and chris powell <laughs> we, we that is a blessing it is a blessing i'm happy to just visit with someone besides chris powell and we are here joined by mr trevor wade trevor how are you doing buddy i'm doing good guys i'm i'm happy to be here thanks for asking me to be on yeah you bet and as most people are gonna know what is your official title with ukc trevor i am the coonhound program manager there Coonhound program manager. So it's kind of like, important. it's kind of like joy. I'm the regional sales manager. They just say that. So our business cards look really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some, some flashy, I guess. That's right. So we're, we're joined by Trevor and we're going to talk some autumn oaks. We're going to talk some world hunt. We're going to talk some general, uh, Coonhound UKC stuff. And, uh, first I want to start off with autumn oaks. Uh, Trevor, I was out there. It looks like you guys had a pretty good turnout. How do you guys think the event went? Yeah, I think at the end at the end of the weekend, we were really pleased with how the event played out. Um, you know, going into it, it seems like in every event these days there's some sort of limiting factor, whether it's a, a life changing disease that's going around, or a, <laughs> or now the inflation that's crippled the country all year. But luckily, you know, gas prices steadily went down going into the event. We got a we got a pretty it strong was- pre entry. It was because Autumn Oaks was coming up. Gas companies were like, hey, these coon hunters got to get to rich. Right. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, at, at the end of the day, I think uh, uh, entry numbers ended up being pretty strong this year. And uh, we thought the walk around crowd was was pretty good just as far as people there walking around. The camper crowd was a little bit down, as we've heard, but maybe people just aren't pulling campers as much anymore or what have you i don't know but uh overall we were really pleased with the event we had a really good time uh, very few issues if any and uh and just another successful automotives what uh you talked about the camper crowd and the stuff but to me and i've been there i don't know 
seven, eight years, probably since 2013 or 14, uh, roughly. And it looked to me like the walk around crowd was pretty high. I mean, it looked like it was as good a, a good a crowd as I've seen, especially on Saturday, uh, and for a long time. Especially, of course, COVID knocked all that stuff down too. But like you said, the the parking lot on the west side of the fairgrounds, that thing was stacked full every day by ten o'clock. It looked like. Yeah. Hey, you guys probably know even better than me. I get stuck in that hunt office for for about eight hours a day on Friday <laughs> and Saturday. But uh, yeah, just talking to the other the other people of our staff, and then talking to some of the vendors, and of course the people working our merchandise booth. They said it was the vendor buildings were were full. The the walkways were full. So. That's always encouraging to hear. I think a lot of people are just flat tired of uh, being stuck at the house and they're getting out and just wanted to see a regular autumn oaks this year. I think we finally got it back. What, do you guys ever run any numbers with uh, with attendance or, or anything anything like that? You guys got any idea? I know you got night hunt entries and show entries, but has anybody ever counted how many participants or people just show up? Yeah, they, they have before. Uh, the past couple of years since I've been there, we've not had any real st- statistical data that to track that sort of stuff. I do know this year they have they have wristbands and parking passes for people coming in onto the fairgrounds, and we actually ran out of both of them. So I guess that's a good sign if they ordered for uh, estimated crowd and it was over the estimation. So that's always a good thing. But I don't have any any real concrete numbers for anybody. But I know they used to track that sort of stuff. I'd be real interested in knowing what that is. I mean, uh, that could be huge for, you know, future future information if you're dealing with Chamber of Commerce and different things like that. Plus with, uh, you know, for the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, the state organization, being able to take that kind of number to your legislator and say, hey, man, Coon Hunters, just in one event, yeah. we bring this many people to Indiana. Yeah, that's something where we probably need to get more on top of that. We and there's there was times this weekend where just being short staff still, and uh, there was times during the day where the gate wasn't even manned. A lot of people got free entry or pulled in with their campers or whatever. But uh, it's just just part of how it is right now. Being short staffed all the time seems to be the name of the game. But it's yeah, a, it's a problem everywhere. It seems like everybody's short staffed, and then you run into the coon hunt supply guys that are. You know, we can't get this for our lights or we can't get this for, you know, our chaps or boots or whatever we're doing. So it's not just a, a UKC problem. It's a problem everywhere. And we can see where that's coming from. Yeah, it seems like the sh- the vendors, it, this whole thing has taken a really big toll on vendors. And when you talk about past autumn oaks for the past decade to this year, maybe vendor less vendors may be something that stands out to people. I still think we had a, maybe 31 vendors there this year. But it just wasn't as full as, as you may usually see it. We have them spread out a little bit. So there's still a lot there. But it, uh, since the COVID year, uh, there's a few of them that are usually there that still just have not recovered yet from uh, bulking up on materials and then being shut down for a year and not traveling to events. And it put a hurting on them and now pulling trailers. And it's just seems to be one thing after another for those guys. So, man, we got to we gotta continue shopping with our vendors and supporting those guys that are supporting us hunters. That's big main thing get those guys back on their feet i think a lot of it is just uh the direction of the economy everything is going to online sales and and all these vendors have really high tech you know shops and stuff online and you can pay online and delivery it's almost one of those things it's like i enjoy going to autumn oaks but uh yeah we gotta figure something out around that deal because it's it's we're you're you're competing with the internet shoppers now too that's true 
Yep, that is true. Yep. We look at 20 years ago, uh, people could only get their new dog box at one of these events, or they could only get their new light at one of these events unless they, you know, self-addressed stamped envelope, you know, type stuff before then. And so, you know, it's a different world, but, you know, it's just like everything else. we got to overcome and adapt. And I think coon hunters are doing a pretty good job of that, you know, as far as, Yes, we all want to go see, you know, I, I went over there and I, I was around vendors all week and I bought one vest because I had just bought a pair of boots online and I just bought a light before that. And, you know, I think it's the same thing with everybody else. I don't think the vendors, uh, you know, they don't have the, the incentive to come to those events like they used to, but still there's enough there to, to make there's it worthwhile. Still vi- there's, there's still value, still value yeah. in it of that vendor that's dedicated enough to go out and meet his customers face to face. I, it's just, that's, you can't, you can't replace that kind of value. Yep. And I love it. It's like a big party. It's and, about the environment of being there. And that's why Mark Zepp is so busy at that thing. Cause everybody wastes yeah. a lot of mokes to make sure to get their Garmin fixed. Cause they want to go to it and do it face to face right there in front of Mark. Yeah. Get that <laughs> yeah. thing updated. Yeah, that's right. Do the updates. They got more USB cords hanging out of that booth than than most places, most iPhone stores. We always talk about our uh, our internet reception being poor at Oaks. It's probably because of the, the yeah booth. yeah they're they're taking all the bandwidth at the Garmin booth. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about hunt numbers, Trevor? What was your entry number? Yeah, so uh, of course we've done walk in we've done walk up entries now for the past three years at Autumn mm-hmm. Oaks. So this is our third year kind of dabbling in that. So pre entry numbers seem down. Uh, of course we were about four hundred and forty four entries total was actually the number pre event for the weekend. So you're thinking, man oh man, but the, then you gotta keep it in, in perspective that a lot of people are just walking up now. They're not it's not enough of a, a price gap for them to do it. They'd rather make the last minute decision whether they're gonna be able to make it or not. But on Friday night, we ended up putting 407 dogs in the woods, which we were really pleased with. That's wow. a good hunt. Uh, mostly grand knots, of course, on Friday night. So that's still the drawing card for this event to get the grand knots in there and uh, and competing for that national grand knot champion title. On uh, Saturday, aside from our grand 16, uh, which I'm not going to count into it, but on Saturday night between our registered and night champion categories, 179 dogs went to the woods. So uh, just shy of 600 dogs total, which is a good weekend for us. Yeah. Is that, is that, of course, taking COVID out pre COVID? I mean, that's pretty on par with pre COVID numbers, isn't it? Yeah. I would say right around yeah. six, 650 is pre COVID numbers, uh, you know, in the past decade or so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, a good turnout. Yeah, the 50, the 50th anniversary, that skewed all the numbers because I think UKC hunted up close to. 1100 dogs that weekend yeah well over a thousand that weekend i can't yeah. imagine i was stressed on friday night trying to get guides for 400 dogs i was so stressed i was it's tough it's tough and, and i know there probably was more guides and more hunters back then but on friday nights at autumn oaks that's the most stressful day of the year for me trying to find guides for those people it seemed like it went off as far as the guides and the cast and everything i never of course i've got my ear to these things i never heard any huge complaints i mean of course, when you put that many dogs in the woods, uh, there's going to be one cast or two casts, something like that, that are going to run into some something sticky, a sticky situation, something happened with a landowner or a dog or handlers or whatever. But overall, I think, uh, you know, I heard a lot of good reports from the casts and the hunting and the things like that out there. Yeah, I hate to say it, my barometer is always social media when I when I wake up early that uh, Saturday morning, I get on there and I see who's who's made their social media posts. And I saw very little negative 
posted. I'm trying to think of any that I saw that were negative about their their guide or judge the night before, which is awesome. And it's just that's a good testament to our uh, event officials picking quality judges, the main thing, and also to the the clubs in the area. The Wayne County Club ended up putting 11 non-hunting judge or guides for us on Friday night, which saved our hunt ends. And uh, of course, our satellite clubs all all over the the Medway Ohio Club, then our Convoy Ohio Club, Bryan Indiana. Uh, Shelbyville, Indiana, Hartford City, Indiana, all those clubs step up to the plate, help us put that many dogs in the woods and quality hunting so they could score on some goons. Yeah. Where all were the satellites this year again? Uh, well, we have uh, Convoy, Ohio. Okay. Uh, Bryant, Indiana. Right. Shelbyville, Indiana. Shelbyville. That's one I was, yeah. Uh, we have Hartford City, Indiana that we, we've started using here in the past couple of years. And then this year in a pinch on the way down to the event, looking at our, our hunting guide numbers, we knew that we were going to need some extra non-hunting guides. And uh, a new club just about 50 miles east of there in Medway, Ohio, Clark County is the name of the club. It's just okay. 50 miles right down uh, Interstate 70, kind of a, kind of a good area for us to the east because we're mostly sending cast to either the west or the north and it kind of uh, maybe a new mm-hmm. area for us to explore as far as sending uh, cast to. Hey, Chris, nice. Chris, did you see yeah. that I got up and I hit that mute button? I did. I saw that. <laughs> Were you I proud proud. Of me? <laughs> yes, I was. I was like, wow, look at that. <laughs> so let's, let's take the opportunity to talk about guides a little bit. So when you're guiding for an event like this, what are you guys looking for? You know, maybe we got somebody out there that says, you know, I got some spots to hunt, but, but what do you really need? What makes, what makes for a good, useful non-hunting guide uh, at an event like this. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing right now is just woods big enough to hold dogs and keep them safe. Right. I mean, obviously you want to be able to score coons, but keep keeping dogs safe. It seems like every, it seems like it's becoming more and more uh, common to see dogs uh, getting run over with the way dogs hunt now. And it's, it's terrible. And the more you can keep uh, dogs in, in big safe woods is the main thing, but also you want to have a good coon population. And, uh, uh we don't talk to these non-hunting guides directly. Of course, that's the satellite clubs, uh, that's part of the responsibility is supplying some non-hunting guides for us. And those guys do a good job of, of getting quality guides and, and kind of policing their own selves and doing such. Used to the, the big deal at autumn Oaks was to have, you know, you, you'd, you'd spot hunt, you'd, yeah. you'd dump score coon, call timeout move. And has, have you seen that from your stance where you're at, have you seen that kind of changing or is that still kind of the, the status quo there? Boy, I wish I wish it was like that on the final cast, at least the ones I'm going to, but it sure doesn't seem like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to go hunting in big timber, be able to recut and just stay safe and right. tree on coons. And uh, yeah, it's there's not you won't see much spot hunting anymore. And I think that's uh, clear from our scores, you know we always kind of cringe if you see a score over, I don't say cringe when you see a score over a thousand, it always is going to raise questions for people. I feel like, and, uh, on Saturday morning, of course, we don't make our scores public until the events over at autumn Oaks, but we're, we're getting the grand 16 ready. And you see the cutoff score for the grand 16 is 450 plus, And that's for putting, uh, I don't, uh something around 70 casts of grand nights in the woods and 450 is the cutoff for the top 16 cast scores and then me us personally we know that the highest score in the grand category is 775 which is a real respectable number and we were yeah we were tickled about that yeah those are right. legit scores i mean those so are- james tyree pulled the shenanigans on you and came in with 1175 <laughs> didn't he have, didn't he score 1175 i think it was 1275 1275 yeah. but i can i can tell you what man i've drawn james i've judged james james has judged me 
and I've never, I, I was joking about him pulling shenanigans. That, that's a guy that I would, I, I'm never worried when he's carrying the card. He's going to find your coon. He's going to find his coon. He's going to do everything for you. Well, so. there's different factors that go into it. Of course, he was guiding himself. He had a good guide lined up, I believe. I saw sure. him joking about it on social media. And then it always helps if a dog scratches out or you get behind four coons and you just want to go back to the truck and not keep walking around to score somebody else's trees, and that all helps out. Uh, that says something about sportsmanship, too, though. I mean, if you're if you're hunting for something like that, did he win National Grand? Is that he, what he won? He was hunting in the night champion category. So he was okay. first place Okay, champion. all right. But you get you get something like that on the line, and and you're in this cast, and you see you're down four coons with an hour to go because you're getting your butt whacked. You know, it's like okay, I'm not going to stand in the way of this. You know, this dog's definitely a nice dog. Yeah, yeah. It's so. I I don't blame those guys one bit for pulling their dog off, but it looked like a couple of them stayed with him, and that's also a yeah thing, sportsmanship thing to do to stay out there and add some validity to his score. So you don't yeah, you don't want – I mean, because in that situation, you know, you don't want to turn him loose by himself where he's going to get – he's guaranteed first strike, he's guaranteed first tree. Uh, you know, some guys stay with him and, and make sure that that dog's still having to compete against other dogs out That's there because right. you never know like if the next that. cast behind him is, is obviously going to have to be doing the same thing, or at least somebody is. So you don't want somebody to knock, you know, somebody out of the Grand 16, for instance, just because, you know, they got to hunt by themselves or something. Yeah, so so it was a all around weekend. Just two scores above a thousand, and they were all respectful for the most part. A lot of the locals were talking about uh, how dry it was in their area, and I think that rain on Saturday may have helped with some scores on Saturday night. But overall, mm-hmm. it was real good scores and uh, just a real good week of hunting. You know, we started up on Tuesday night with our Slam series, which has kind of turned out to be a, a good deal for us. It's it's been around now for 15, 20 years at different places, and it's grown into something. Uh, the past few years, that's uh, real impressive. I think over the three nights at the slams on the weekdays, they, they drew 78 on Tuesday, 96 on Wednesday, and 126 on Thursday for a total of 300 dogs on the dot almost three nights. And just want to give a shout out to those clubs too in, uh, in Liberty, Indiana, and uh, Selma, Indiana, uh, putting that many dogs in the, in the woods on a weeknight. Not easy to do either. So I don't want to forget about them and leave them out. No, I noticed the slam numbers this week, and they seem like they have been going up uh, pretty consistently since you guys started that. You know, I think the first time I looked at it and paid attention to it, there was 30, 40 dogs on a Tuesday, uh, 40, 50, 60, Wednesday through Friday, something like that. And, you know, to get into the triple digits alone, even the high triple digits, you know, by the end of the week, that's pretty good. Yeah, we, we get there on Tuesday at the grounds and you're looking around and, you know, there's campers set up, but a lot of people come and set up their camper, pay their dues, and they're gone until the weekend. And uh, we're walking around and thinking, man, it may may not be too great of a slam tonight. And then get word from the field rep, there's 78 of them. Yeah. And you say, man, how they do putting them in the woods on a Tuesday night? And Cable and Carmack and uh, and those guys down there in Liberty get them in the woods they draw out in 15 minutes they're they're ready they're prepared and that's why people like going to those events if you go to a club that'll get you in good woods and and aren't uh struggling to get you out there there's a lot of good hunters around that area that's whenever you keep coming back and that's a testament to those clubs that those numbers keep growing yeah liberty club i mean I, i'm fortunate because i can talk about these on a personal level i've you know i've hunted liberty club multiple time up there at hannes creek and uh they've always been a g- good club oh yeah that's still a strong club today. One of our, I can always, and 
I, I give Kevin credit here on the podcast, but Angie Cable is a driving force behind that club. Just, She's the brains behind that operation. Everybody knows that. There's That's social, right. There's social media presence. I can always count on her getting quality pictures or our final four. Uh, just her advertising. She puts a lot of work into it and it shows. Yeah, yeah he definitely he definitely married up for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So when you put on a, an event of this size, what is the biggest hurdle. stressful? Yeah, hurdle, stressful thing, problem. If you were if you were king for the day and could run a perfect operation, then then what kind of things would you do to first? What's the biggest problem, and then how would you fix it? Yeah. So so in in my job capacity, where I deal mostly just with the hunt portion of it. Uh, obviously just getting hunters there, getting them in the woods with quality guides and quality judges are the main things I'm worried about. Um, uh, getting everything set up to have that happen. Now there's a lot of things that go into it through it through the year to make that, to make that happen. And that's, uh, you know, doing the best advertisement we can do, um, getting the word out there and then, and then getting the stuff at the event that makes it worthwhile coming. And that's talking about getting the vendors there, getting good food vendors there, um, the way that our uh, major events team make the whole event look as a whole, they give it that major event feel. You go into the, any of those buildings and they're just decked out and just has that feel like you're somewhere important and you know that you're at a, at a major event. And uh, but but uh, and the show portion of it, I, look, I don't have a ton to do with the show portion of it because it runs right smack dab in the middle of confirming hunt events. But our all breed team helps a lot with the show. And they do a great job over there. I had another huge show at this event with, you know, 250 dogs entered into a dog show over the weekend, which is great, par for the course. And uh, over there, too, getting quality judges over there is, a, is an important thing. But for me, just working as hard as we can to get quality guides and quality judges and then getting people to actually show up. Those are the those are the most stressful parts of the job, getting people there. What about your relationship with the city itself in Richmond, Indiana? Because... Uh, Autumn Oaks has been there for how long? Uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory. 1992. Okay, so it's been there since 1992, same location, uh, roughly the same time every year. Uh, how how difficult is it to deal with? I mean, because when you're bringing in that big of a crowd of people and they're staying at the fairgrounds, they're staying at the motels, they are spending money in town and they're doing things like that. And it's a beneficial thing for the area as well. But what about the relationships with the town and the townspeople and how important is that to maintain? And what what does that look like as far as what you guys do as far as communicating with them? Yeah. Uh, uh, Nicole, our, our, she just recently got uh, got bumped up to vice president of the company. She, she has a lot to do with our major events. And she kind of keeps those lines open between the communities where we're at and, and our office. So she does a great job of of keeping that going. Um, this one here, you, you know, a lot of times when you keep an event in the same place year after year after year, you can get soured either, either side, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot for, uh, for that city to put on every year when you know there's going to be a huge influx of people. Of course it helps your economy, but it's still a stressful time for them getting hotels and, and food arrangements. And especially right now with the, especially with the, when all those people are packing a 70 pound dog with them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, but uh, the, the relationships with with their 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 whole um, their mayor office, their their chamber of commerce, their city, their county, they're all really supportive of hounds. They're all really supportive of this event, and uh, they they appreciate us. And it's 
it's it'd be similar to Orangeburg. They're they're always behind the Grand Americans, similar to how this is there, and we have that same relationship uh, building in Batesville, Mississippi. Even though the Winter Classic hasn't been there too awful long, that that relationship's building, and that's what it takes. If if the community that's holding the event, not just the Coon Club that's host, hosting the event, but also the community around the Coon Club doesn't support it, then you're not gonna you're not going to have a successful event in Richmond, Indiana. Uh, I don't, you guys, I don't know if you saw Alan's opening uh, remarks on Friday talking about uh, the relationship of the city and how, how they've helped us build this into the event that it is today. And uh, with, with the tragedy that happened with the, with the canine officer there in Richmond and, uh, and all that stuff and the donation from UKC and all that stuff. And it just shows how much, how important that community is to, is to UKC and, and how important UKC is to that community. It's a very what? beneficial I, relationship. Yeah. I think it's a great credit to the, to the attendees of the event too. Sure. You know, because if you go some places with major events like this, you know, it's like, Oh crap, here they come again, you know, and it's never like that in Richmond. Uh, the marquees on the signs will say, welcome coon hunters. Welcome to Autumn Oaks. You drive up and down 40 on the strip there and you see those signs over and over and over. Their parking lots are full. They're, they're busy, but they're happy to see you. Um, and that's a great credit to the crowd that shows up. It is. Too. That's yeah. exactly right. Very respectful crowd. And as much as the antis want to act like uh, the people that come to Autumn Oaks are just running around tying their dogs to every fence before they leave so they don't have to take them home with them the community knows that's not the case. The people that are at the fairgrounds know that's not the case, you know, uh, and, and all the hunters that go there, they're respectful to the people at the restaurants and at their hotel and at the people in the community and, and the people that come to the event and, and act a certain way. That, that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Like you said. Well, imagine yeah. packing 5,000 people into a kid rock concert on that fairgrounds and see what it looks like on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It looks pretty good when we leave. You know, I've yeah. noticed late on Saturday, everybody's picking up their trash. Everybody's cleaning up their dog waste. Everybody's doing the things that they need to do. And I think on that portion of it, it seems to get better every year as far as the hunters are more aware of their surroundings and, and mm-hmm. what needs to go on and how they conduct themselves in public and stuff like that. So I think we're even we're even trending up in that area. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the crowd partying in the hotel all night and, you know, tearing out walls like the old Bill Walsh song and puking in the halls and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, we're here to hunt. We're here to do our thing. And, and, uh, it's pretty quiet, pretty quiet. I've been a lot in a lot of hotels over the years where there were other major events going on and you got people running up and down the halls and yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Good deal, man. What so, about, uh, go ahead, Josh. I was just saying, what you talked about Batesville and you talked about Orangeburg and some of them places. What are some of the different? Because I mean, you guys put on four, five. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna say five now major events a year, but they're all different. They've all got their little, little different, you know, uh, things about them. You look at Orangeburg. You look at Batesville. Uh, the Tournament of Champions, the World Hunt. Of course, the Tournament of Champions, the World Hunt are a little different because there's a zone format for those, so they're not packing as many dogs in the same area. But uh, what, as far as those, you know, locate locales and towns and municipalities and things like that that you guys are having these events in, what's the what's the main thing you guys are looking for when you're looking to hold a major event? Yeah, yeah. So, so the first, uh, I, I can speak to mostly the uh, World Finals and the TOC Finals because I'm actually I've been there selecting those locations. Yeah. I wasn't there when a uh, Batesville or 
or uh, Richmond were selected, but I've had those conversations with Alan and Todd. And I know, uh, obviously the host club is, is a very important part of it. You know, when we're looking for uh, the, the home of the TLC finals, we want to leave it there for five, 10 years. We want to keep it there and establish it and get it uh, where it is. And we've looked at different places and, uh, and we had a lot of uh, input from our upper management who had a lot invested in it. Obviously they had $200,000 invested and they wanted to have the best venue they could have and the best area they could have. But uh, one thing that we, we had to make, abundantly clear to them is that the host club and the people in that area and the hunting in that area has to be, uh, you know, it has to be good or else hunters aren't going to come there. You can have yeah. it in the best place in the world, but if you aren't going to score any coons, you're not going to get anybody there. So you talk about Greencastle, Indiana. Um, I know there's, uh, there's probably places better in the, in the country where it's flatter and there's more coon population, but there's a strong group of guys there where you're going to be in safe hunting and we can get plenty of good guides and judges there for that event. Uh, for the world this year, it's in Dyersburg, Tennessee. First time it's ever been in West Tennessee. And we're probably going to get to the world championship later on. But that's a place where we went to that venue on the way down. Uh, it was actually Chad Smith we were working with, the former president of the Black and Tan Association. So we have that relationship with him already. He shows us the the fairgrounds, very nice fairgrounds. But it's also that conversation of what's the hunting like here in the, at the end of September. Um are you going to be able to put 26 casts in the woods? Pretty easy. Are you going to be able to support us with judges? Because this is West Tennessee. Uh, you know, in Indiana, Ohio, it's easy for us to get 26 judges. But down here in West Tennessee, we're going to need some help. And uh, and then after that, it's just uh, as, as easy as trying to build – or it's just as it's just as simple as trying to build that uh, relationship with that area and, uh, and making sure that it has the – resources that we need to put on an event as well because you can't have a winter classic or autumn oaks without having plenty of lodging in the area campsites hotels you got to have restaurants and options for people to eat within driving distance all that's really important for those major events the truth is sponsored by havoc hunting supply when you are looking for high quality gear go to the people that understand the demands you put on your gear Havoc has a full line of top quality hunting gear that meets those demands. Rugged hunting vest for the big game houndsman to the sleek, high speed low drag vest for that late round bound competition hunter. Havoc has what you need. The Havoc website features a complete line of hunting gear for the serious houndsman. And they feature that iconic Havoc logo. Go to HavocHuntingSupply.com and order your gear today. It's time to turn the hounds loose. It's time to wreak some havoc. Well, let's talk. You, you mentioned the world hunt. Let's start talking about it. We got zones coming up here pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and most people that are listening to this podcast are going to know, you know, it takes a dog's got to get through an RQE. Uh, dog goes out to zones. Uh, the top, so many dogs from zones go out to the world hunt. But as far as the zone format, uh, that's been, when did that, it's always been a zone format in UKC for as long as I could remember, but when did that come about? Ah, Do you geez. know right offhand? I don't know right offhand. I've, I've read those in some of our older books, uh, Steve Fielder talking about it. It used to be just uh, qualify an RQE and go yeah. straight to the finals, but yeah. it got to where it was harder and harder to put that event on. And when they had to go to the zone format, I'm going to say that was probably in the eighties. Steve may yeah. correct me on that. I, I don't know for sure. I don't have that information readily available, but it's been, it's been a zone format for uh, as long as, as I've been around for sure. And, and way before me. 
Yeah, and when you're picking locations for the zones, I assume you're looking for the same thing that you're looking for for any major event, even. You know, it's got to be a strong host club. Uh, they got to be able to put the dogs in the woods and things like that. But those rotate every year, right? I mean, they're not normally are zones in the same year twice or same we, place twice. So so we, we move them around periodically, and we had them on different schedules kind of mm-hmm. uh, going into the COVID year. When the COVID year happened, the next year we were just – in 2021, we re- re-ran everything back from 2020. So they all got on the same schedule. And uh, this year, actually, we got new zones, and we're going to keep every zone on a two-year schedule. I got and you. what that does for us is it gives us the opportunity to clean the slate of our map and be able to play some uh, good regionally every year instead of working around three – and trying to fit in in the gaps, it gives us a chance to clean the slate and get us our, our good locations. So everybody, we obviously we want to get good hunting locations and good host clubs, but we need to make it to where if somebody qualifies, they have reasonable driving distance to somewhere uh, to get, if they were to enter a zone, get make it worth their while and give them a, a semi-decent drive to their to their zone location. Are you looking at hunters like, say, uh, a zone in Ottumwa, Iowa, you know, how many hunters are going to it as opposed to a a zone somewhere else and you're just kind of figuring that up, you know, a couple of years later to try to move towards where most of the hunters are. Yeah, we, we definitely look at uh, both entry numbers at their local uh, levels events. And then also we look at clubs that are uh, hosting major events like breed day events and state championships and how they yeah. do at putting dogs in the woods, because this is going to probably be a, one of their bigger hunts that they put on at the time, you know, not all the zones will, but, yeah, you know, just uh, we don't have final note. We're still some got some mail in ba- uh, entries coming in at this time. Whenever I left the office on Friday, you, know, so that's you about said time. you about said mail in ballots. <laughs> yeah, I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what what are your predictions for zones as far as numbers? You think you guys are looking at pretty good numbers for zones? You think? Yeah, I think we're just shy of five hundred this year, which doesn't surprise me. You know, we've been in the mid five thirties the past couple of years, which is pretty uh, yeah. pretty uh, common. But with it being in, in Tennessee, it always is going to dip, just like it did in the Iowa year, just like it did when it was in Elberton, Georgia, and just like it did when it was in Louisiana. You know you're going to have that drop. But the thing I love about the the World Finals, and I know people, uh, they get irritated when it goes to a place where they don't think it's premium coon hunting, but that moving around gives different people an opportunity to to have a shot at it. And In West Tennessee, people are going to be pleasantly surprised. You know, I'm from the mountains of East Tennessee, West Tennessee is a whole different state. Yeah, it's you know, not it's bad. It's not bad, bad as over a there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not too as bad. You're, as you're sitting there in a Tennessee sweatshirt, <laughs> talking about how great Tennessee is. Yeah, we, beat, <laughs> we beat Pitt yesterday. You know, 17th ranked Pitt yesterday, so I'm feeling good. Got to wear it while I can. <laughs> it's pro- it's probably 150 degrees up there. He's wearing a Tennessee hoodie. <laughs> just put it on for this, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, just, just in yeah. case. Just in case. <laughs> Uh, so where are your zones this year, Trevor? Uh, so we got, we got seven zones this year. We got Brooklyn, Wisconsin, Mercer, Pennsylvania, Portland, Indiana, Palmyra, Missouri, Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, Clarksville, Georgia, and Queen City, Texas. Those are our seven zones. Where is Queen City at? Uh, it's going to be pretty close to the Louisiana line over there and just yeah. south of uh, Arkansas. So it's kind of in the northeast corner of texas yeah that's what i thought i, I was i'm getting actually had getting ready to head down there tomorrow to that area of texas okay. so i was curious <laughs> yeah they actually yeah. have a strong entry in queen city this year yeah there the are just being in west tennessee yeah. makes sense yeah. there are a lot of a lot of houndsmen down there a lot of houndsmen a lot more than people think a lot of coon hunters of course the the lone star 5000 and some of the other bigger events down there through pkc and then uh, of course there's 
a big UKC club just right there. Uh, I think Nacogdoches has a UKC club that holds a lot of hunts or somewhere around in that area. So I know it's such a big state. They're just spread out. But like you yes. said, there's a yeah. lot of coon hunters in the state of Texas. Yeah, there are. Yeah. So you can still choose your zone, correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Do you see any kind of strategy, people people trying to strategize uh, of how they pick their zone? Oh yeah. What have you seen out of, what have you seen out of that, Trevor? Yeah, I just I just sent out the uh, the event listings to uh, to the host club officials to let them know kind of who's coming to your zone, pick out your hunting guys, that sort of stuff. Just on Friday, I did that. I'm looking through some of them and I looking at the state they're from and I got to double check and make sure that we didn't enter their zone wrong. Cause you got people from Georgia going to, <laughs> mm-hmm. to, uh, Missouri. And I was like, eh, is that right? But you, you'll see some of that, you know, some people even down South, their dogs do better in uh, thicker coons. So they'll send them up there or maybe vice versa. You know, you get in Kentucky and your dogs are better. You don't want to go to Portland, Indiana and get a coon train contest. You want to go down to Georgia and uh, try to tree one or two coons and, and get, just know you got to win your cast. So there's different things that go into it. And they'll be, well, we're going to make this list public on Monday. Uh, so tomorrow, the 12th, you're listening to this, probably it's going to be after the 12th, but we'll make that yeah. list public on Monday. And then once people see the list of entries in their zone, there'll be some people trying to call and then try to strategize to move out of that zone to go to a different zone. But we won't allow that after after we publish the list. But Right. Yeah. No, oh, I, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want to go there. <laughs> I got a kick out of it the last time I competed in zones. It was in Iowa, around Ottumwa somewhere. I can't remember if it was in Bloomfield or somewhere. It was, it was the Troy Club that was putting it on, but they moved it over there to a bigger yeah. uh, bigger town for the motels and things like that. But it was, you know, you had guys from Steve Bankston came all the way up from Mississippi and then uh, guys from Oklahoma and stuff that were traveling up there because there's bigger coon numbers, their dog uh, was more likely to succeed with, you know, in a coon tree and contest. So that's where they brought them. You know, I thought it was interesting to see, and there may be a zone in their backyard and they'll still drive five, six, seven hours, you know, to get to something that they think might suit their dog better. Yeah. I was, I was really surprised by our pre-entry numbers for Palmyra here, uh, Missouri. I know is Palmyra not, not quite Northern Missouri or is it in Northern Missouri? It's pretty close. It's only about an hour and a half, uh, Southeast of me. And okay. I'm right on the Iowa border. Uh, yeah, it's right off really, highway 36. It's good. Very good. Kuna. Mm-hmm. Very good. Really Kuna. strong entry numbers. They have, uh, 115 dogs entered in that zone. And I was just kind of, I thought the split between Missouri and Wisconsin would be more, more split even, but a lot of people chose the Missouri zone. And I know we had to make some changes to our TOC regions for next year. We moved it out of Troy, Iowa. That club's put on a ton of major events yeah. and kind of burn out. We moved it to uh, Northern Missouri there, uh, Zach McBee and Kirksville. And, at La Plata, uh, yeah. And, yep. uh, and Memphis and those places. And I know that's a coon zoo, but I know if Palmyra's on that level. Or... Uh, Palmyra's pretty close. Uh, Palmyra's a unique area in that you can travel – you know, a little way south and be in a sparse raccoon area or a little ways north. It's not far from Memphis as the crow flies. Uh, you know, you look, you go up the river 45 minutes from Palmyra and you'd be in an absolute coon zoo. Yeah. Uh, but it's a beautiful country, rolling hills, good hardwood timber, uh, still plenty of crops. Uh, it's not far from the river, you know, from the big river at Hannibal and stuff. So those guys are in for a treat. That's a good club. Uh, a lot of good guides. Uh, Kurt Aaring's going to hunt out of that club. So maybe you'll draw him and have a lot of fun there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I saw your brother has a couple in there, right? Yes. Yep. I yeah. imagine, uh, Venus and Josie will probably be hunting out of Palmyra. So yeah, he's getting dogs ready for that. I talked to him yesterday and he's going to go down there and compete. So it'll be fun. It's a good club and it's a beautiful area. 
a lot of big area there to where you're not going to get dogs in trouble stuff too. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it. It's good. It'll be great. Makes a lot of sense why their entry numbers are strong. Then them yep. in Indiana definitely led the way as far Portland, Indiana led the way yep. as far as entry numbers go. But those are places that have held zones before they hold major events. They both hosted world finals before. So makes a lot of sense. Tree a lot of coons there. Yeah. Yeah. So what nights lay out the zone format? Cause we get people listening to this thing from everywhere out West, but they're interested in how this world championship works. So just start from an RQE and break it down uh, to the final. Yeah. So, so we start out January one as the start of our uh, kind of our qualifying year. Uh, there'll be RQEs all across the country, uh, about 175 if you add them all up in every state you can think of. Even as far west as Colorado, there's one. North Dakota, there's a couple, all the way up to Maine and down to Florida. You know, uh, right. so through then to the end of uh, August, you're going to have regional qualifying events across the country, and you're going to have a chance to qualify your dog. And what it takes to do that is to get a plus point cast win at one of those qualifying events for the hunt or I'll mention the show real quick is to win one of the six categories in the bench show portion of it, which is grand male, grand female, champion male, champion female, or best male or best female show. So that's how you qualify. Uh, you have to labor day weekend, the Saturday at autumn Oaks to get entered um, for it. And then we move into our zone portion of it, which is just for our hunters. If you win a, a, a category at a bench show and you get entered before the deadline, you go straight to the finals. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're a hunter, you go into the zones in the next step, which is this coming weekend. It's going to be the 16th and 17th this year. It always takes a, you got autumn oaks, there's a week gap, and then it's the, it's the zones that next weekend. And uh, that's where we go into a two night event at the zones and a dog must hunt both nights and complete the whole two hour hunt both nights. If you withdraw or get scratched either any night, either night for any reason, you're not eligible to, to advance. Um, basically how it works out is we, we say it's a top hundred, but the way the numbers work out, it's actually a top 104, which is just 26 even cast. And it makes it easier for advancement purposes. Um, we'll take the overall entry numbers into the zones, split it up by the number of dogs in the zones and figure out how many dogs from each zone are going. So it's based on the number of entries per zone. So when you have 120 dogs in Portland, Indiana and 40 dogs in Clarksville, Georgia, they're not sending the same amount of dogs. It's based on their entry numbers. Uh, so double cast winners will be the first to ad advance from that zone, uh, which there's, they don't all double cast winners. There's never enough double cast winners to fill up the quota of what you're sending on. So after those, it'll go by single cast high scores to get the rest of the dogs advancing from that zones to the next Thursday night. Whenever you go to the world finals this year, it's in Dyersburg, Tennessee. And uh, that Thursday night is probably my favorite night of the year. As far as coon hunting goes. What makes it your favorite night of the year? You know, I, I had the pleasure of making it once whenever I was a hunter, when it was in uh, Elberton, Tennessee, uh, sorry, Elberton, Georgia, just south of me there in Tennessee. It was just a couple hours south of there. And uh, man, I'll never forget the butterflies I was feeling. You walk into that fairgrounds and the way it works is you, you, you have to have your dog in hand, you confirm your entry, and then you get into the line to get your picture taken right there amongst all your peers. You're there in line with the top 100 dogs in the world that year. And it's just a, it's just a neat feeling. You're, it's really tense. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, jabbing back and forth and camaraderie, but uh, there's a lot of tension in the air. There's a lot of nervous people because in, in a, something like our world championship, you're going to see a wide variety of people. You're going to see some of the top handlers and dogs in the country, and you're going to see some people that you probably never heard of before. And, uh, it's just an interesting mix. They're from all over the country because of the zones makes it that way. And it's just, man, it's just a blast. That Thursday's a blast. You get 26 casts out in the woods. And when those, 
those winners come back. It's uh, that's it's just an awesome night all around. And we're actually having a live show on that night where we're going to be inter- a red carpet style interviewing the winners as they come in. Mr. Uh, Rick Stretch and Steve Burkholder are going to take those guys up there to the stage live on our YouTube channel, and they're going to be interviewing those winners, and it's going to be a blast. It's going to be good TV, I think. Yeah, nice. I was so really, get- I was really impressed with your tournament of champ- champions coverage and how you guys do that and stuff like that. Speaking of rolling the red carpet out and all that stuff and, and the commentary and, and how that's done. I think you guys are on the forefront of, of that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are going to continue it because, uh, the characters in this sport, as I've always said, are, are something else and they're something that needs to be highlighted and kudos to UKC for doing it. And you guys have done a really good job. I just wanted to, I'm patting your back a little bit here, but <laughs> I just want to thank you. I've told Alan that the same way, you know, the same thing. You know, I don't think I've told you, but yeah, you guys do a fantastic job of just the coverage of the event because you want to cover the event, but you also want to do it in a professional and, and orderly way. And that's hard to do with our sport. It's very difficult to do. I mean, uh, cameras, we do it all at night. Our dogs are a mile away at times. Uh, you know, so it, it's hard to get the actual you know, animal doing what the animal is supposed to be doing on film or, or any other media way, you know. And so you guys have really kind of cornered that as far as, you know, how you do the Tournament Champions, how you do the World Hunt and stuff. But when did that come about as far as uh, who's going to take credit for uh, for your <laughs> for your Tournament of Champions coverage in, in this? Because, I mean, if I were you, Alan's not here. Yeah, I'm, go no, ahead and do it. Yeah, Trevor. nobody else in the yeah. office is here. Go, yeah. go ahead and tell us how this was all your idea. <laughs> yeah, I would, love to, I, would love to take, I would love to take credit for it. It's a it's a whole team effort, and I think a lot of the the bigger the bigger. He won't do it. No, I won't. Company, <laughs> company man, company man. <laughs> uh, we we've made some hires over the past couple of years, like Shannon Nardi, who has a big uh, background in Bassmaster and high yep. high level. Um, uh, retrieving shows that have been on ESPN and she knows that kind of stuff. And she has, she brings such a, a great team, you know, at TOC, the, her team that she brings, they just got done shooting the Grizzlies playoff game the night before. And yeah. then they fly across country over to do our TOC uh, live show. And uh, man, it, uh, just a lot of work goes into it. You know, we, we have long, we just had a two and a half hour uh, meeting on Thursday over what this, you know, the, obviously we've had meetings before, but once you get closer and closer, you're trying to get the finite details down, uh, trying to figure out what this Thursday show is going to look like at the world. It's a, it's a whole group effort. You know, we have upper management there. And of course we have to hit spots with partners and sponsors and we have to make sure we give these people due credit and you got, Alan and I, we know what the coon hunters want to see. You know, we're giving our input as far as you want it. We want to give the dogs a recognition. We want to give the owners and handlers a recognition. And then, of course, you have the media team who are bringing their aspects into it and want to make sure that we have, you know, we want to make it look good and we want to have all the, the right subtitles up and, you know, the 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 little pop-ups with the correct information and just giving it the feel of like a sports broadcast or something like that and the major event feel and uh I don't know. We're trying to make all of them different. So we're still playing with this and we still have a long ways to go on making this good. And I I thought the TOC one was really good on a, I really enjoyed the Friday night version of it where they did the cast breakdowns and kind of give each, gave each dog their due credit. And then on Saturday, of course, I didn't even know we were going to have, I knew we were going to do some snippets from the woods live, but whenever we had such good cell reception to get back so much live footage, I was pleased with that. But 
then when that came, I felt like we could have did better in some different areas. So we're still learning on the fly yeah. on how we want this to look. And I think the world is going to, we want to make it completely different than TOC. Uh, of course, Saturday, we're still going to do our live play-by-play coverage, which is going to look a lot like the TOC. But I think the, the Thursday night show is going to be something a little different as far as having uh, different people up there. We're going to take the twenty the 26 cast winners, if there's that many cast winners on Thursday night, having them up there and getting an interview them live for all their peers to see and get that recognition. I think that adds an extra wrinkle to it. I think people are going to appreciate it. And uh, hopefully they, they get on there and talk and don't get all clammed up, you know, but uh, yeah. it's well, since to watch. Josh and I aren't slow to take credit for stuff. So I'll take credit for part of uh, when you bring those guys up the red carpet there, and then you pull them off the side and interview them. Yeah. Burkholder and I talked about that doing that and i talked to alan about doing it at the toc yeah i think that's you know it's it it has that look of here's your individual here's this guy and and kind of that college football game day type thing you know where you pull them up there and you give them a snapshot so yeah yeah i think it it adds a real cool wrinkle into it and i'm excited to see what it ends up looking like um that was shameless, wasn't it, John? Yeah, that's typical Chris Powell. I'm like, hey, who, uh, who, yeah. who thought of this? He's like, oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, <laughs> that was obviously me. I know it was in 1927. I wasn't born yet, but, I, yeah, I did that. <laughs> I stole it from ESPN, probably. No, I, I think that uh, our, it's time for our sport to take when – we're, when we're rolling into, you know, not small cities – you know, Batesville, Mississippi, Richmond, Indiana, those are not small little towns. I mean, they are compared to New York City, but, you know, you're talking substantial population and, and bringing substantial income and things to their area and notoriety to their area. You know, it's time that we, you know, start acting like we are somebody and, and putting together professional stuff. So I'm really happy to see it. Yeah, I think uh, the, the one thing that we have on our side is – is our platform and our following to be able to highlight winners and a recognition still goes a long way. You know, a lot of people say that they're in it for the money and they may, for different, for different reasons, they may come to TOC to make $50,000. And of course they are, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But also getting the recognition and, and being on this pedestal with your peers, be it to be able to watch you on there and, and to always have that to refer back to, I think is a, is a big incentive for people as well. They want yeah. to recognize to be at the top of the, of their sport. Well, we're one of the few dog sports, and and me and Chris and and you, Trevor, we're in the same business. We're trying to mainstream this thing because, mostly because we love it, and I know you're in the same boat as me and Chris are on that point. But I mean, the reason we do the podcast, and the reason that you guys do your podcast, and and all the tournament champions coverage, and we put on these hunts is because the the sport is special to us, and of course we want to mainstream it, you know, because there's a lot there that the world should be able to see and to be able to understand why we do things and how we do things. And so you guys are putting it out there on the forefront. Uh, we love it. Uh, I've always been impressed with your guys' coverage of all these major events. And I think, you know, some of the other kennel clubs should follow suit because you guys are doing it very professionally and very well yeah. done. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah. I think that could be done in other areas and I think it'll come. Uh, you guys are, are the pioneers right now and you know, you guys are kind of, making the way for us little folk and we love it <laughs> i i i always thought that what we do is just as important and just as credible and just as uh, 
valuable as as the guy standing on the front of the bass boat catching a bass or you know running a horse in the kentucky derby we don't they don't value it any what they do any more than we do yeah and it's it's good stuff and i'm glad to see i'm glad to see it taken off like this i am too I just want to give a shout out to all the the content creators. I mean, obviously, Houndsman XP is the first hound podcast I really started listening to. First one out there that I knew of. Um, and there's there's been a, a bunch of new ones come out, and it's all quality. a bunch of good ones. Yeah, yeah a lot of good ones. Uh, a lot of good YouTube channels now. I can I can take odd night off hunting and and get on there and catch up on some different shows. And I remember. Uh, back when I was just, man, I was, I guess just out of high school whenever Tree TV was on yep. and Kurt Aaron, and I thought that was the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. And now there's uh, the the kids that were are my, like in their late teens and, and seeing this stuff, man, it has to be uh, inspiring to them to see it. And Just and, the old DVDs of Elvis Attack doing yeah. all, his, yeah. doing all yeah. his tricks and everything, and they were amazing. Yeah, they were pioneers yeah. too. Yeah, they and I've been, pioneers. I've been actually, I've been on to Kurt about getting the old tree, tree TV footage and digitizing that and putting it on YouTube, and we're working on that right now because that was that was one of the first actual coon hunting shows, you know, and it was it was a lot more difficult to do. You couldn't do it with an iPhone in time, you know, like you could back then. So they they done a lot. It was neat. I'll buy it. I love it. That was the coolest thing. Yeah, it was. What about you guys? Uh, done the rules thing at Automos? You done? You done your rule changes? Yep. Let's, let's go through those real quick because I was curious about that too. Uh, I had seen them on the UKC forums. Uh, I'd, I actually done a podcast over some of them. You know, just talking about them. Yeah. Uh, what passed? What didn't? Uh, could you go through just kind of the outline of, of what some of those were? Uh, just to be honest with you, Josh, I don't have that information readily okay. available for me here. It was kind of a spur. I was spur of the moment thing to do this podcast yeah i I don't have it readily available why why is that why was it spur of the moment for you trevor you guys got no showed by the hot shot so you went to the (laughs) (laughs) there we go yes (laughs) alan's alan's too good for us so he said it's trevor is that what you're saying yeah i guess you had to pull me off the bench second (laughs) i knew i should have just contacted you first yeah that's we're gonna do that next time alan i know you're listening to this the only reason i didn't is because i've got like a standing invitation to go hair hunting in michigan so yeah we don't want to ruin that yeah i don't want i want to keep those rails greased pretty good (laughs) see if you can get me an invite up there i want to go up there and chase some dogs around yeah there you go there you go (laughs) but uh no, we like you said, Friday morning at Autumn Oaks, uh, it was a culmination of the whole year of uh, people sending in their uh, their proposals to their chartered breed associations, the chartered breed associations taking the proposals that they thought uh, may be worth discussing and send them to us. We published them for them to talk about at their breed days or on their social media platforms to get their input from their association members. And on Friday morning, Alan and I met with two members of each chartered breed association, just so 16 of us in a room there. And we, we went through them, each, uh, each of them, and hashed them out. And I'll tell you guys, if you're a member of your charter of, of your breed association, which you should be, you should support your breed associations and your state associations and, and all of the associations out there supporting our hunting needs. But I know we'll, we'll save that for later. But uh, uh, they, they were taking what their membership had uh, told them to heart. They all had good points. They put aside their personal preferences and talked about what their association had voted on and what the, the majority of their association, how, how they wanted them to vote. They all brought forward good points. And uh, I, I can't remember exactly how many passed, but there, I think some good things passed 
uh, some things that will help advance the sport. But most importantly, I don't think anything past that's going to push us backwards, yeah. which is the main thing that you always want to want to do. And uh, I know the what one am- most people are worried about is uh, is the thermals. And I, I was just getting ready to ask you that. What about the thermal rule? Because <laughs> I'm yeah, going to have so- to get my tournament of champion wins here pretty quick. I need to know what I stick in my vest. <laughs> it was it was unanimously passed. Seven Good. nothing passed. Perfect. Thermal imaging devices to be passed. But Josh, that doesn't start till January 2023. I, <laughs> I guess I guess I'll unload it then <laughs> for now. So yeah, just just make sure everybody knows January 2023. Yep. Don't pull it out at the zones and say you heard it yep. on the Hells of XP podcast. There you go. I say, hey, Trevor told me I could. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but Trevor told me I could. <laughs> no, but I, we discussed the thermal a lot this year, and I've, I'd say for the past couple of years, at every event I go to, I've discussed thermals with everybody, and I'm not against thermals. I don't have a good reason for them not to be in the rule book. I was hoping it would pass, and it did. I have one. I use it, and uh, I think it's just going to help us. Uh, it's just a good aid to have, and if, yeah. if the name of the game is scoring coons, use this you have this useful tool to help you narrow down in the tree where to look for a coon then why wouldn't you use it well the main thing is that and i know cost is an issue for a lot of hunters it's an issue for me too and they can't all afford a thermal but that's okay if there's one on a cast uh i've been on a lot of casts in my life if i've got a thermal i'll help you find your coon and everybody that's packing a thermal is going to be the same way uh it's going to be beneficial uh well it depends. You know, if I'm in the finals of the Tournament of Champions and I'm the only one with a thermal, I'm probably not unloading that thing on everybody else's coon. Battery don't go dead on Yeah, it. that's it. Oh, man, I, I forgot to charge this thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but for the for the most part, just one thermal per cast is going to be plenty. I mean, it's going to help everybody find their coons and score their dogs correctly and all that stuff. So, so um, you guys got a podcast, a UKC. Yeah, are so, you gonna are you gonna cover this topic coming up? Yeah, I probably should have mentioned that there in my spiel. But yeah, we, we have the new <laughs> UKC Hunting Ops podcast that we we put out just a few months ago. I think we're about twelve episodes in now, and that's a it's been a useful tool for us in getting information out about uh, a lot of our different programs, about rule interpretations, highlighting winners, and and different things that we've used it for across all of our our uh, hunting sports. Uh, but yeah, we're going to here in the next couple of weeks, you can expect to, uh, to see a, uh, a rule, uh, proposal podcast. Where we're going to talk about each one, uh, and go a little bit more in depth when we have a chance to figure out how these rules are going to be that past are going to get integrated into our rule book. That's going to take a little bit of figuring. Alan and I were actually only in the office together two days this week. So we didn't get to dive too far into it. Uh, I don't know who decided to put autumn oaks and the zones two weeks apart, but, uh, Sure makes things a little complicated, but yeah, you guys are busy, man. Busy right now, that's for sure. Hey, Trevor, one thing I did want to ask you about. Uh, you mentioned earlier in this podcast, and you said when I was a coon hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I want I want to express to people because you know I'm I still hunt I still hunt hard I still I'm still able to get three or four nights of work of of work in on the dogs a week, uh, but. When you come into a situation like you have and you're and you're working for UKC or you're working for one of these other organizations or even for anybody that caters to dog sports, it really takes away from your personal love of the sport. And sometimes, like yourself, you know, it, it really diminishes the time that you're able to spend in the woods with doing what you do. And I don't think people understand the sacrifice uh, that folks in UKC or some of these other organizations go through because 
I mean, most of you guys started as houndsmen and you worked your way up and then all of a sudden you're doing this and it takes, it takes a toll on, on you guys personally, you know, as far as the sport. So tell me a little bit about that, about your coon hunting history and, you know, why you're not being able to hit the woods like you, like you want to, I know. Yeah, I know. I still, I still hunt as much as I can and, and spring and, uh, spring and fall make is really hard. You're just on the road yeah. so much. And when you're, I have a four-year-old daughter and a wife who's, uh, who's a current, we're expecting another one. I don't know if I'm breaking news there for people or what, but, um, <laughs> this is a reveal your, party. Your, in, your in-laws are going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> they probably aren't going to listen. No, probably podcast. not. Probably not. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, you want to, you gotta, you gotta really draw that line between work and, uh, being a family man and then also doing your hobbies. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes I get so caught up on work cause it's not a, a nine to five job. This isn't, you know, I'm dealing with people all day, every day. I'm all constantly checking emails or getting results or just trying to, the main part of my job is trying to stay up on what's happening in the sport. You know, yeah. I'm up looking at, uh, or I'm on Facebook waiting for results to come in from, uh, from the truck hunt last night, the pro sport truck hunt, you know, I want to know who won that thing and give those guys their kudos. And, and I got to stay up on, on all the newest things. I got to listen to the podcast and all that different stuff. And sometimes I get too wrapped up into it. And, uh, and I got to remember that that family is, is the important thing and to stay grounded there. And then hunting comes even after that. And, uh, and I, I was lucky this summer, I didn't have very many events this summer and I got to do quite a bit of hunting. Um, yeah. this fall, this September, this September is going to be not a very good hunting month, month for me, but in October and November, before the before the snow falls, hopefully it waits till January so I can get in a few good months of, of season hunting before January rolls around. We got Grand American and Winter Classic and Southeastern on the docket, but uh, it, as it was funny, I've actually been hunting more the past couple of weeks than I have got to the whole summer. Now that uh, we we've gotten past this, and this week I've hunted uh, there's four knots this week already. Yeah, wow, logs are pumping out. But actually, uh, it was just uh, not before last. I I. I have two hounds right now. I have a three-year-old Walker dog and a one-year-old black and tan. And I never hunt them together. I just, I can't stand, I can't stand walking two dogs out of the woods at the same time. I, yeah. Just one dog at a time for me. But uh, uh, my daughter wanted to go hunting so bad after we went to the high school football game in town. And it was a big moonlit night. And I, and I knew she wanted to take the older dog, but I had hunted him twice that week. And I really needed to hunt the pups. So I cut them both loose together at the same time and in the best spot I knew of. And of course, they just race. They haven't hunted together in forever. They raced horse <laughs> down this road, uh, point eight. They were point eight from me. Just it was a mile section, and they were uh, you know, two hundred, three hundred yards off the road over there. So we were able to drive around. It was an easy walk to them, but I noticed my Walker dog just wasn't acting right. And I've hunted him all summer. Just and it was a nice night. It was like sixty five degrees with seventy yeah. percent humidity, and I got in there. He was so overheated. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was just race horsing this big leggy black and tan pup that I have or what, but he was uh, he was panting heavier than usual. He wasn't treeing hard, and even his back end was a little wobbly. And just to, I'm going to give Heath Hyatt kudos. You know, I listen to him all the time on this podcast too, and I kind of panicked and shot him a message like, "Hey, I, I don't know what to do. Is this dog having a heat stroke? Is this heat exhaustion?" And he sent me a, a long message and kind of eased my nerves a little bit. So I appreciate Heath for that, but. Uh, I guess he just got exhausted trying to, I don't know what yeah. it was. I've hunted him all summer and just on a yeah. 60 degree night, you think you're yeah. going to be fine. Just, it just goes to show you, you never know, but it probably just goes for me not being able to hunt as much as I'd like to and him never hunting with another dog and not having to compete ever. And it's just a different motor he had to use. And it's just, it is it. And we've, I've spoke about this a hundred times that a dog with no pressure on him is not going to have to work as hard. It's not yeah. going to have to do the things and, 
You know, you take a dog from a cold start, even when they're in good shape, and you take a cold from a cold start and you put it next to another dog and they get that extra gear, yeah. you know, it, it takes a toll on them. But people, speaking of taking a toll, people don't understand the toll it takes to be in the situation that you're in or that a lot of folks are in, that it <clears throat> takes away from some of the things that you love in order to promote the sport and to, you know, allow other people that love the sport to, to continue to do it. So, yeah, I think, I think it's easy to, to get the lines blurry in this thing a lot, Trevor, because, uh, you know, I don't know how many dogs you've or registered owners you have with UKC, but, um, it, even though you're dedicated to it, and you, I think you probably thought, man, this is going to be a great job. I always, always loved the sport and all this stuff, but your, your wife didn't, didn't get hired on by UKC and your kids didn't get hired onto UKC and they still need a dad and they still need a husband. And, and, uh, I was glad to hear you say that. I really was. Yeah. I, I took a little bit of heat for not being at Autumn Oaks in the, in the podcast row there from a few people, but, uh, September 3rd is my wife's birthday. Oh. And, uh, she's taken so many back seats to, to hunting and hounds so many years. She's that, the Angie uh, Cable of the Houndsman XP podcast, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, she'd take this thing and throw it out in the creek if she could. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so it's just one of those deals where it's like, well, you know, uh, there'll be other years when her birthday doesn't fall on the weekend. So, okay. yep. Yep, I was glad to hear you say that. Good stuff, man. Yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a big uh it's a big commitment and you know people think that you're just hunting for a living but you're not you're doing the opposite you're just supporting hunters for a living and and i'm passionate about it and we put a lot of work into it and that just that's why I, i'm just uh, got to give a big thanks to guys before me like todd kellum and alan gingrich and steve fielder and uh jerry mole and these guys who have dedicated their life to putting on uh just good events for hunters to go to, mm -hmm. to enjoyable events and, and to keep it going and, and the competition side of thing, which I'm so passionate about. And that that's my main goal now is to, I want to be able to hunt my dog and enjoy hunting my dog, but I'm not striving to get my dog ready for the zones. I just want to enjoy my dog, get my release for the night, go to work the next morning and make sure that you guys are enjoying a quality event for the guys out there that are getting their dogs ready. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Trevor, that's well said. I don't have anything else. Chris, you got anything else for Trevor? That's kind of one of the points I wanted to hit on there towards the end is because, you know, like I said, people don't always understand. It's always a dream job from the outside. Yep. You know, it's for always sure. a dream job. That guy's got it made. He just messes with coon dogs for a living, you know, but it, it, it takes a toll and it does on me and Chris and uh, you and Jerry and everybody that's done it before us. So I, I think that's a, that's an important point to make, but I don't, I, I think I've asked everything I need to ask of Trevor. What about you, Chris? No, I, I'm I'm good, man. Yeah. I'm real good. I Thank appreciate you, you Trevor. Yeah, hey, I had a I had a blast, guys. I always enjoy getting on here and talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah. And you guys uh, got any questions? Call Trevor. What's your phone number, Trevor? <laughs> <laughs> they won't answer the phone at UKC anyway. Oh, wait, my battery's I, not here. Yeah, that's what. Hey, I, I do want I do want to ask one more thing. I talked to Alan. Uh, at Autumn Oaks. And of course, me and Alan have had a relationship for a while. Alan's a good dude. Trevor's a good dude. I love everybody at UKC. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, but there are, have been a lot of hunter complaints about papers getting out, about things like that. And I know I'm going to catch all kinds of grief if I don't ask you about it, Trevor. Uh, I, I did talk to Alan about it. Alan said that 
of course, we we spoke earlier. It's hard to find help. Uh, you guys have been short staffed. Uh, it's hard to find you know a kid coming in that knows nothing about dogs and registration and, and get them to do the things that you need to do as far as getting the papers out. We get it, but the masses don't always understand that. So so tell me about what UKC's done as far as is, well, let me a streamline let me jump in. Process. Let me Go jump ahead. in real quick. The last two litters of pups that I've raised within seven days, I've done the paperwork online and I had papers yeah. in my mailbox. Okay. One of those times I sent them to, I sent them directly to Trevor and he, he, uh, pushed them on up or whatever. I don't even know how that worked, Trevor. You just told me to do something and I did it. And well, you're getting a few the, days. you're getting the celebrity. Half You're of the, the battle is just getting them into the office. So you yeah. email me a copy of your email. You email me pictures of your litter registration. All I did was print them off and went and handed them to them. And then there you go. You know it's there. You don't have to fight uh, any mailing issues or anything like that. But uh, hey, it's it's nice to be able to uh, to be able to answer the question and not have a red faced person standing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it got a nice happen before here for a second, but uh, hey, I, I know it's frustrating. It's been super frustrating for for me as well. You know, I came into this stuff at late in 2019, uh, and and registration wasn't an issue then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I actually did some uh, training over there just to see what they did. And I remember sitting with one of the customer service res- representatives and we had to wait for a phone call to come in. That's not the case anymore. I don't you can go over there and get all the training you want. And, uh, and it just, just go, going back to, to when the pandemic hit and people say that uh, they, they hear us blaming COVID and it's not COVID still, obviously, but it has a lot to do with the shutdown that happened and us not being prepared for it as a company not being prepared to work remotely from home in those, in those couple of weeks that we weren't able to go in the office. And that's what it piled up on us. And we just haven't been able to put a dent in it with the, uh, with the limited help that we've had in the office, trying to keep people working, but we finally got a full staff. We have the biggest staff we've ever had in the registration side of the building and the company's history. And uh, they actually opened a second office in Phoenix, Arizona, a hub for customer service representatives from what, what the data has told our upper management. And they have uh, six or seven people working over there to, to process uh, online litters and online singles. Uh, we have people working remotely uh, here around here. My wife, during the summer, she works at the school. She helped do some online singles and online litters to help get caught up. And that stuff is within a week or two now. Um, uh, mailing stuff in uh, that gives the people in the office the opportunity to either field phone calls and emails and chats that they're doing or to work on it. And man, they put a lot of, uh, they put a big dent in the gap and they're, they're working hard. They're working overtime. Those people have been working 10 hour, 12 hour days and six to seven days a week for, for over a year now. And they're, they're working hard to get caught up and, and we're seeing the, we're seeing lower call volumes, lower email volumes. We're seeing, uh, uh, less issues. So I, I think that they're trending in the right direction and, and they think that with, if they can keep the people intact on their staff, they're going to be able to put a, put a sizable dent in that. And, and that's, that's the, the feedback that we're getting from that team. And we're really encouraged by it because Alan and I, we're on the front lines, you know, we don't work yep. registration, but we help a lot of people out if we can. And, uh, you know, you're the face man. So yeah. you hear it all. So, and I understand the frustration. I would be frustrated too. It's uh, but, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, I have faith in the in the upper management in that in that uh, department, and they're putting a good dent in it, and I'm I'm happy of it. I'll be make my job a lot easier. <laughs> You're tired of getting registration questions, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm selfishly because I got a litter that's six days old now, so 
<laughs> I'm selfishly asked that question. I want to make sure all the P's and Q's are, are done before I send my stuff in. But the online the online registration, I assume, is still the best way to go as far as getting that done, getting your letter registered, and getting your papers back in a timely order. Yeah, get on there. Yeah. Just uh, just do your letter registration there online. It tells you step by step, and make sure that yep. if you're the if you're the dam owner, make sure that the sire owner checks his email to confirm it, and you won't have any issues at all. Yep. Get out to you in a, in a timely manner, and you'll have it back in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Awesome. I'm good. Chris, you got anything else? Nope. Nope. I wasn't going to open that can of worms, but I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take the hit. (laughs) (laughs) Trevor, thanks for joining us. Uh, like I said, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Uh, I always enjoy visiting with you. Uh, appreciate you being on, of course. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, look to see you in some of these uh, bigger events here in the future, and, and we'll sit down and visit in person or something, you know, and, and get to greet each other over something besides a computer monitor. So <laughs> I appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks a lot. This is The Truth with uh, Josh Michaelis on the Hausman XP Podcast Network, and we thank you for listening.